Well, Merry Christmas, Doxa Church. Happy birthday, Jesus. Whichever one you guys want to say tonight is, is all good with me. We got our uh, Doxa kids having a big birthday party for Jesus right now, kind of learning about his birth and kind of what all Christmas is all about, which seems right because tonight what we're doing is we're, we're gathering to celebrate and remember the most significant night around the most significant person in the history of the world. But if you are, in fact, new to Doxa, I want to welcome you again. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to have you part of the, the Doxa family tonight to celebrate Christmas. But guys, what I want you to do is I want you to grab your Bible and find your way to Luke chapter 2. Gospel Luke chapter 2. Over the last several weeks, in, in order to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas, we've been journeying through looking at this ver- first Christmas account here in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And if you don't have a Bible tonight, don't worry, we're going to put it up here on the screen. But I, I will say this, okay, if you are new, you know, kind of every family kind of has its thing, right? I mean, for my family, our Christmas Eve thing is after this Christmas Eve services, I go and get Chinese, okay? So no nasty Christmas ham for me. It's just an enormous amount of General Tso's chicken and crab rangoons, okay? All for $4.99, guys. It's a great, great deal, okay? Don't think about it too much because it's probably not real meat. But, guys, uh, we all have a thing. Every family kind of has its thing. But our thing here at Doxa is this, is every time that we gather like this, we gather around the Bible. Uh, we, We don't believe that the Bible is merely just a human book, but we actually believe that this is a book that God wrote. And in it are not just encouraging, helpful words given by human beings throughout the history of the world, but really, this is a book filled with the words of God, given to us to to help us, to instruct us, to understand him, to understand ourselves, to direct our future and, and determine our eternity by giving us the answer to life. And every time that we gather like this, we gather around the Bible and we kind of just open it up and we just go verse by verse seeking to hear from God and by his presence and power through the Holy Spirit, we seek to respond to him, thereby becoming the men and women that he has created us to be. And so if you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you the gift of a Bible this Christmas. And so on your way out, you can stop at Info Corner, which is right at the end of the coffee bar, grab a Bible for yourself, a couple for your family. It would be a joy to give you the gift of God's words to us this Christmas Eve. So, guys, here's my goal tonight, all right? As we celebrate Christmas, my goal is is really just simply to exalt the name, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. Because during Christmas season, we're ultimately celebrating the birth of Jesus. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That Christmas is really just where the eternal God entered into human history. It's where the God who created everything entered into his creation. It's when the God who made man came as a man, starting as a baby. This is, in fact, Christmas. And for those of you who are Christians, it's my hope and prayer that as you are reminded of the simplicity yet the significance of this night that we're celebrating and the gift of the man Jesus, that worship, wonder, awe, and praise would abound in you this Christmas. And for those of you here that maybe you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, but mom and dad brought you here, your girlfriend said this is our next step, welcome again to Doxa. Guys, it's not that long ago that I was in that exact same spot, but I love that you're here. And my goal for you tonight is that I just wanna show you who Jesus is. I wanna show you how great Jesus is, how much he loves you, how much he gives to you, and how much you actually need him. And just as most everyone associates Christmas with gifts, I want to show you how at the heart of Christmas and really all of life is one particular gift. 
God's gift to us of a child. All right, so let's get into this. As we look at the first Christmas in Luke chapter two, here's where we're going, okay? We're gonna consider this birth, the birth of Jesus from like three vantage points, really just asking three questions. We're gonna start with that which is historical, really just asking the question, what did God do in human history? And then we'll consider the theological, really kind of just wrestling with what does this actually mean? And then we'll close up with the biographical, asking how does this impact our lives today here in Madison, Wisconsin, okay? So let's do this. Luke chapter two, we're gonna start in verse one. We're gonna start with the historical. And Doc said, one of my greatest joys in life is to, every time we gather like this, is just to open up the Bible with you. And this is especially true tonight at Christmas, okay? So the very first Christmas, Luke chapter two, verse one. What did God do at this first Christmas? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Canerius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. All right, now, guys, if you have watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right, you've already heard this story. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard this like a hundred different times, but this is really just the simple account of the birth of Jesus that we celebrate every year at Christmas time with billions of people around the globe that call themselves Christians. And here is how Luke explains like kind of how this all went down, but you have Mary, and we've talked about Mary over the last couple weeks, the mother of Jesus who was engaged to this guy named Joseph, She hears of this decree that comes from Caesar Augustus that a census was gonna be taken by Rome. And now we know historically that the Roman census was really essentially taken to ensure two things, right? That power was maintained and that as much money that was there could be gotten. That Caesar wanted to know how many men were in his empire so he could have a big enough army to maintain control, but also this aided in tax collection so to know how many people were actually there so he could get as much money for his empire, his kingdom, as he could. And in this time, like, no one had a choice of, of whether or not to participate in this, so everyone just returned to their hometowns to register. Now, this is so interesting when we look at Luke's gospel, all right, because an interesting thing to note is that Luke is the only gospel writer who related the birth events he records to a historical event like this census. And we've we've been talking about this, but Luke was a very well-educated man. He He was a physician by trade, he was a gifted historian, and when we read throughout this gospel, it's, we just need to understand that it's a result of just like an extensive historical investigation. We're reading the results of, of Dr. Luke, the historian, investigating all around Jesus' life. And so he would go and he would get interviews with these people, sit down with them and all these eyewitness accounts and he put it together to tell us who this Jesus actually is. And as he tells us about the birth of Jesus, he introduces us to a number of people who are present and living in that day, showing us in this account and the issues surrounding Jesus that this is actually rooted in history and factual. 
And for Luke, if you look back to chapter one, verse four, he gives us this. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He says that everything that he gives us, all that he wrote down in his gospel is to give us certainty around the activity and the identity of Jesus. That Luke doesn't want us to like derive our view of Jesus from like cultural voices, but really historical facts. He wants to give you certainty. And if you're in here and you're anything like me like 15 years ago, and maybe it's kind of like you're like, ah, maybe there's a God, I don't know. Your, your faith is kind of like a cloud and some days you're, you're there and other days like the wind of culture or something bad happens, blows the cloud out of the way. Luke wants to give you certainty so that your faith can move from a cloud to a mountain. And he says, this is all happening throughout history and it can give you certainty around Jesus. But what we see that because of this decree given by Caesar Augustus, who was the um, adoptive son of Julius Caesar, Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem where his ancestor, King David, grew up. And again, Luke wants us to see this in light of historical events, not religious folklore, but here's what we need to see happening with this, okay? And I hope that as you hear this, it really just expands your view of God. But as Caesar decree, as his decree went out, guys, listen to this. It did so in God's perfect timing and according to God's perfect plan to bring Jesus into human history. See, the point of Luke telling us all of this is for us to see God as completely sovereign over history. You need to know that even if our lives feel out of control, that God is never out of control. He's sovereign over everything. And we don't have a God of history, but we have a God who is over history in directing history for the coming and the reigning of Jesus. And because of Caesar's decree, Jesus was born in the very town that was prophesied of his birth hundreds of years in advance. And this is so important for us to understand as we consider Christmas, okay? We talked about this, I believe, a few weeks ago, but there are really just kind of two threads that weave together and hold together the entire Bible. It's promise and fulfillment. And as you read the scriptures, you'll see it. It's God giving promises and making promises to his people, and it's the fulfillment of those promises in the work and the ways of Jesus. And much of the Old Testament can fall underneath the category of promise, and then the New Testament is the fulfillment of these promises through Jesus. And so the birth of Jesus is really just the fulfillment of a series of promises, also called prophecies. These were given sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of years in advance that God, who is sovereign over all creation and over all history and over all time, he tells humanity in great detail exactly what his plan is for human history and the coming of Jesus into human history. This is prophecy. And we could literally spend the entire evening together looking at these prophecies, but for the sake of time and for the sake of my desire for a bunch of egg rolls, we're gonna get into just two of them, okay? But two prophecies that are specifically pertinent to our study and our examination of Luke chapter two. The first is in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. It's gonna come up here on the screen. This is written roughly around 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and here is what God says through the prophet Isaiah. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So God tells the people of the world through the prophet Isaiah that the answer to the human problem of sin and brokenness and suffering and pain and death is Emmanuel, 
which is a title or a designation that means God is with us. And so through this prophecy, all right, the people of this time, they were hearing this, they learned that God is coming into human history to be with people and to help people that he loves and he created. And he says that you will know who this Emmanuel is, this God come to be with us when you find a virgin mother whom Luke is telling us about. Now, the second prophecy that I want you to see is in Micah chapter five, verse two. All right, this is written about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And here's what Micah writes. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, uh, that word, I don't know what that word is, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. In the Hebrew, the rendering is literally from eternity. And from these and other promises, guys, the expectation and the anticipation for humanity was this. A savior was coming, a redeemer, a hero, who is gonna be God among us. And all of this is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And what's so interesting, guys, Luke doesn't explain why Mary went with Joseph. Right, that Joseph could have just went on his own, but Mary goes, and he doesn't tell us why Mary goes with him, but I'll submit to you this, guys. I really think that it's likely that Mary being a devout Jew and knowing the Old Testament prophecies around the Savior being born in Bethlehem, that she was likely wondering how it was that her baby, who the angel said is the promised Savior, was gonna be born in Bethlehem as they were living in Galilee many, many miles away. And she's kind of sitting there and she's thinking about this, like how is this actually gonna happen? Like the angel told me I'm gonna have the Savior, but I know the, the scriptures and the prophecies say that the Savior is gonna be born in Bethlehem, but then Joseph comes home from work and he says, hey, I gotta go to Bethlehem. There's this census that's happening. And in that moment, guys, I just picture it in my mind as I've been thinking about it this week, Mary just kind of smiling as she realized that God is making this all come together just as he promised hundreds of years before through the prophets. And because she saw God doing something amazing, she went with Joseph and the stage was set for the birth of Jesus. And so what we're looking at here is not just a historical event but a fulfillment of ancient prophecy showing us the power and the plan of God. And Doxa Church, this Christmas, I need to remind you that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all history, and he's sovereign over our history. And I hope that brings you great comfort tonight as you remember the promises of God to be with you, to help you, to never leave you, to provide for you throughout your days. That God loves you, and he's with you, and he has promised to work things together in your life for good as you follow him and trust him and obey him, and so even when life, and some of you in here, I know this is your story right now, even in life, when it just feels like you're getting kicked in the face, and the chips are down, and you feel totally out of control, I want you to know that God is never out of control, and if you're with God, you have a great big God to hold on to, amen? This is a promise that we can take hold of from Christmas. We can trust in the power and the presence and the plan of our great, loving Father God. Now, look back with me to verse six and seven. All right, it says this, and while they were there, the time came. 
okay? If you have a Bible, you can circle that. The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this is one of those times where you're reading this, and it doesn't seem like this is a big deal, right? It just seems like Mary realizes that she's about to have this baby. This is what happens to, like, every pregnant woman who gives birth. The time eventually comes where they're like, oh, boy, this is, this is happening, right? I remember when this happened with my first child that was born, Lily. And I was, got up early in the morning. I'm, like, running around. I'm, like, I got to go to the gym. I got I to gotta, I gotta go. And Lisa was, like, you're not going anywhere. I'm, like, no, I got time. We got to go. And she's, like, this baby is coming out now. Get in the car, right? This, the time came. This is Mary. But in addition to this natural time, guys, if we know our Bibles, this wording here of time should also signal something more. It should bring to word or mind the words that we read in other parts of the Bible that speak of the fullness of time coming. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so the reference of time that Luke is using is a reminder of the fact that God, who is over time and directing time, has been ordering all of human history for the plan of redemption and salvation, just as the prophets foretold about Jesus hundreds of years before his birth. And in the 700 years between Micah's prophecy and the birth of Jesus, this would have been a great time of waiting for God's people. They would have been waiting for this promised Savior. And so time here, as Luke uses it, is a signpost to hope for all people, that hope has come and his name is Jesus. And this is one of the most significant nights in the history of the world. But I want you to hear me on this, guys. It's only significant because God revealed the meaning behind it. And this is where it's so important to understand the theology behind Christmas because what we just read maybe is what most people think about when they think about Christmas and Christianity. They know that Jesus was born, they were born in the manger, there was no, people didn't have room for him in the inn. That's what they know. But we need to understand the meaning behind all this. Not just asking about what God did, but what does it all mean? All right, look at verse eight. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I want you to circle that in your Bible. All the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, because if you remember back to chapter one, we talked about a few weeks ago, an angel appears to Mary and announces to her that she is going to miraculously conceive a child who will be God incarnate. Here, another angel appears to some shepherds to make another announcement that gives clarity on the meaning of Christmas. Okay, and I want to explain this to you. If you're newer to the church, this is going to blow your mind because it blew my mind years ago, and I can't wait for that to happen for you today. You need to know about shepherds, okay? These were people 
that were some of the most unlikely to be chosen for anything great, okay? If you grew up in the church and you, you were ever a shepherd in the Christmas play, if you were that kid, uh, you got the worst job, the worst part, okay? The shepherds were just kind of like outcasts. They lived outside the town, like kind of just alone. They were sleeping in the open. They were just with animals all the time. And so this is not the job that you grow up aspiring to. This is the job that you end up with, okay? But even more, like some people will say that these shepherds, that many of them were criminals and just not great people. And so these people, as you think about the shepherds that these angels appeared to, you just need to be thinking about people who were just really on the fringes of society, seen very much as the lowest of people, And so when the angel shows up to them, guys, this was just altogether surprising because no one ever showed up to hang out with the shepherds. And even more, when the angel announces to them that good news had come, the shepherds were the last people who would ever expect to hear good news and a message from God from an angel. But they actually do. And if you just think about it, guys, I've been thinking about this all week. It's so interesting how God comes in a humble way to the humble Mary and announces it to the humble shepherds. It's amazing. And it really says something about our God. I mean, God takes the lowly, those people and things that are seen as nothing in the eyes of our world, and he works with them for his glory by his grace in great ways. And through these shepherds, we learn something so amazing. We learn that Christmas is good news for all people. Because what the angel says here, it's for all people. Okay, guys, you you get this, right? It's all the people. It's not just the people in this room. It's not just the really religious people. It's not just the good people. It's for all people. And as he reports this, this angel There's rejoicing and praising that happens. And now we just ask another question. Okay, there's a good news. Like, what is this good news? Why all the praise? Why the celebration? What does this child actually mean? Look back to verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so here's what you need to know. Number one. Notice how the angel says, you. Guys, this is personally for you. And someone in here needs to hear this tonight. I know in a room this size, there are many different types of people with many different stories, many different backgrounds, many different baggages that you're carrying in here. And there's likely someone here that thinks that, man, if there even is a God, I am not the type of person that that God could love or would love or even should love that God would not want to be with me. If that is you, I have good news of great joy for you tonight. It's actually true. The truth is, all people get this good news. This is for you tonight. It's not just good news for me because I'm on staff with the church. It's not just good news for you because you're sitting in a church on Christmas Eve. It's good news for all types of people that the people of the world, God created in love, and this news needs to get to all people, that he's, where, he's here, he's with them, he's for them, he loves them. And this good news is found in Jesus. This is what we're seeing here. And if you look back, there's three little titles that we see in verse 11. 
that don't come together anywhere else in the New Testament, and they're so significant. Okay, look back. The angels refer to Jesus as Savior, Christ, and Lord. And this really just shows us the identity and the activity of Jesus, that he is Savior, meaning that he's the rescuer, he's the hero. And we we need to know and remember about Christmas that Christmas really just shows us both bad news and really good news. And the bad news of all of our lives makes this good news of Christmas that much better that you and I, you just need to know this about yourself, that you and I are both sinful and broken. We are needy people. And I know that in a place like Madison, there's filled with like very successful people and very strong people and very intellectual people. We need to understand that this is true of all humanity. Sinful, broken, and needy. Because on our own, because of our sin, we cannot and will not be with God who created us and loves us. And it may be weird, if you haven't been to church for a while, it may be weird for some of you to hear about sin on Christmas, but this is at the heart of Christmas. It really is. Like apart from talking about sin, Christmas is not good news of great joy at all. Because sin is the reason, guys, for all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the sadness and all the brokenness in our worlds and in our lives right now as you sit in your chairs. That sin is everything that God is not. And sin separates us from God and it separates us from one another. And being separated from God in the here and now, it might not seem like that big of a deal, but if this separation is not fixed in this life, it will go on through this life into the eternal life in this Eternal separation is just a terrible conscious reality of hell. It's just complete, final, eternal separation from God. But we have a Savior who's come for us, amen? Guys, this is Christmas. This is why we can say, Merry Christmas. Jesus takes away our sin. And while he doesn't do that in the manger, he does this on the cross that Jesus came to die in our place for our sin and he gives us new life, which happens because of his resurrection, that he's the savior. The name Jesus literally means God is our savior. And I don't know about you, Christian, like every time I think about this, I'm just filled with amazement that God would love someone like me and use someone like me and help someone like me who is so jacked up and so sinful. Like I'm the biggest sinner I know because I know my thoughts. And every time I think about the love of God coming as the man Jesus Christ for me, it fills me with amazement and causes me to wanna worship because while I don't understand it, I know that it's true and I'm thankful for it. Jesus is savior. And if you look back, it also says he's Christ, which means he's the anointed one the chosen one, the special one, and he's the Lord, meaning that he's over all religions and over all nations and over all people. And the angel says, this is good news and it's for you, it's for all people. And I want you to see this, okay? The apostle Paul, he kind of talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter two. It's gonna come up here on the screen. But this is how Paul talks about Jesus. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And so Christmas reminds us that there is a God and you and I are not him. And Christmas reminds us that there are not multiple gods, that there is actually one God. And Christmas reminds us that there are not many ways to God, that there's actually only one way to God and it's through the man Jesus Christ. That God became a man to reconcile men and women back to himself 
dealing with our sin problems that we all have in all of our lives. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here, guys, is really just echoing the words of Jesus in John 14, where he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. And so I believe that God has all of us here in his sovereign plan. And you could be just kind of like checking out and being like, I shouldn't have come. I'm glad that you're here, but please, please hear me on this. Coming to God and being with God is not about morality. It's not about spirituality. It's not about good works. It's not about you trying harder or being better. It's about Jesus. And I want you to know Jesus. God wants you to know Jesus. You need Jesus. He's our mediator. And Christmas gives us this great truth that we actually don't rise up to God, but that God descends down to us. That Jesus came so that you could give, you, give him your sin. You could give him all of your efforts and all that you are, and that he could give you his salvation and his joy and his peace. This is what Christmas is all about. So here's how I'm gonna end tonight. We have considered Christmas from like this historical perspective the theological, we understand what it means. Let me end with the biographical, kind of asking, man, how does all this like impact us? Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So two responses I want you to see tonight. All right, first, the shepherds. Guys, what do they do? They go see for themselves. And if you look back, they don't just go, but it says they go with haste. All right, that they heard this news and they just quickly go. They hear this news, this good news of great joy, and the shepherds decide to take a look at what God is doing, and they run. They run to receive this. And for some of you guys, you have just heard the good news of great joy, of peace and salvation and security, which is what Christmas is all about. Now, go and see for yourself. Go to Jesus. Give him your life. Give him your sin. And if you've never done that, because I would beg you, I would implore you, like the reason this church exists and we started it like four and a half years ago was to get this message to as many people as humanly possible here in Madison. And you're here and I would just beg you to say, Jesus has come, Jesus loves you, he has made a way from you, you've heard this good news, now run to him, go to him. Just like the shepherds, he's inviting you to do that today. And you can do that just by talking to him, just asking him, to forgive you of sin and to be your God and he will hear that prayer and he will answer that prayer and he will be your God. And honestly, I can't think of a cooler day to become a Christian and start following Jesus than here on Christmas Eve. Come to Jesus. And finally, I want you to look at Mary. The shepherds go and see Jesus and they worship him. And Mary, I love this. Look at verse 19. 
Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That Mary is just completely overwhelmed by the reality of Jesus. Christian, do you get this? I mean, she's sitting there and it just dawns on her that the Savior of sinners, God incarnate, is in her presence and he's there to be with her, to save her. And she's pondering this and she's treasuring this all up in her heart and she is just worshiping. The Savior, Christ the Lord, Jesus has come. And our response is running to Jesus like the shepherds, pondering it in our heart like Mary and singing with your mouth like the angels and the shepherds, amen? This is what Christmas does. And guys, I'll tell you this, when I met Jesus, I was 23 years old. And I can tell you personally and practically that Jesus didn't just make a difference in history, that he made a profound difference in my personal history that my entire life has been completely transformed and redeemed by the person, the power, and the work of Jesus Christ. And I desperately want that for you. That Christmas means miracle. Christmas means hope. Christmas means peace. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, let this Christmas remind you of the power and the person and the work of Jesus. He's come for us, he's arrived, he's Emmanuel, he's God with us. And like Mary, pondering how God has drawn near to you, this will deepen your appetite to worship him. This will heighten your desire to follow him and to pursue him and to live like him and for him. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing. But as we do that, guys, I want you to answer this question. What difference has Jesus made in your life? Think about that. What difference has Jesus made in your life? And as you recall that, worship him with gladness and joy this Christmas. Let me pray. Father, I, I love you. Jesus, thank you for your mission to come to us, to seek us, to serve us, to save us. Holy Spirit, I just ask that these truths that we find in Luke's gospel that are meant to give us certainty around the, the man, Jesus Christ, would you just solidify those things in our heart, in our mind? God, maybe we're here and we're just down and out would you remind us now that you're with us and that by your presence in our life, things might not be perfect, but you will carry us through. If there's people here that are just like struggling with faith, Holy Spirit, would you just allow something to click where they would finally see Jesus for all that he is and all that he's done? Would you just cause us to kind of come to you just like the shepherds? And as we sing these songs, let us just ponder like Mary the beauty, the majesty, the glory of who you are, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.